This morning, as we prepare for our lesson, we will be looking at God's Word from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. For those wanting to utilize the Bibles on the pews in front of you, you may turn to page 925. Luke 15, 11 through 20. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them as his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you again. It is great to have you. It encourages us by you being here. And uh, we hope that we can encourage you. It is good to have the new families with us this morning. We look forward to worshiping and serving God uh, together with you. A good old southern gentleman was on the road, and as he was traveling along, he had a flat tire pulled off the side of the road. He proceeded to get out of the car, looked down the the hill there, and he walked down in the grass, and he picked some wildflowers, and and he placed them in the front of his vehicle, just out in front, a few several feet up the road. He went back down and picked several more wildflowers and he came back and he did the same thing, placing them this time to the rear of the vehicle. And then he he went and and he he was seated in his car waiting for someone to come by and help him. A few minutes, someone coming by, observing this strange scene, stops and says, do you need some help? He says, yeah, I have a flat tar. And he says, well, I, I may can help you with that. He says, but curiosity question. What is up with the bouquet of flowers on each end of your car? And he says, you know what they always say, if you break down on busy road, you're supposed to put some flowers in the front of your car and some flares in the back of your car. <laughs> now, I tell that, uh, that comes very close to home for me. When I left uh, Middle Tennessee and moved to Long Island, New York, I just had to say one sentence and immediately people would laugh and then people would say, where are you from? And the idea that I always felt was that I always felt like a foreigner. I felt like one in a far country because in just a moment of conversation, people immediately wanted to know, where are you from? Where are you from? Are you from Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Tennessee? They start naming a lot of the southern states. Today, we study about a far country. But we study about this far country in the context of one of the most beautiful stories ever written. As a matter of fact, 
Charles Dickens said that it was the finest short story ever written. A commentator says that it is a story that is divinely tender and humanly touching, more so than any story that's ever been recorded. You see, when we think about the story that oftentimes we call the prodigal son, it's found in a parable that has three stories. These stories, if you'll remember, as we studied last week, they're the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And in these stories, what we learn is we learn the value of each individual. We learn how intense, at least from two of the stories, that the search ought to be when one is lost. And then we see in all three of the stories how awesome the rejoicing is whenever one comes home. But tucked away in the middle of this third story is a phrase that I would like for us to really think about today. It's a phrase that really in the text that's already been so capably read for us, it's elaborated upon. In other words, it's described. There's a lot that we can learn about this phrase in verse 13 where he says, He journeyed to a far country. I want to ask you something this morning. Where is the far country? Why didn't we read in this text about the young man obtaining his possessions and then traveling for a couple of weeks across a long and hot desert? Why didn't we read after that about him having to climb and, and go over several miles of, of rough mountains? Why didn't we read about how many months it took for him to leave such a beautiful and a perfect world at home to arrive to that far, far country? I wonder how many of us have read this story time and time again and we envision in our mind a country so far away that maybe you and I could never arrive there. Friends, I suggest to you this morning that the reason we don't read about that is because that's not what the Lord is trying to communicate to us. You see, it's a far country because any time sin separates us from God, that divide is dangerously far. But note this. The far country is very, very near. You and I don't have to travel for months. We don't have to go across long, hard landscape. The far country is as simple as beginning with selfishness. That's right. The beginning of the far country, that journey traveling there... The beginning of the journey is about me. Notice if you go back to verse 11 again, where he says to his father, Give me the portion of goods that befalls me. You remember what Jesus said, if individuals were going to follow him? In other words, if they're going to be at home with God, he says, let, you, let anyone that will come after me, let him deny self, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, the opposite of selfishness. We have to get over ourselves. We have to find out what is our purpose for life. Why are we here? And it's not about us. Now notice, he also immediately made life about him. And look in 13. So he journeyed to that far country. And there he wasted his possessions. You see, what God the Father in this story had given him, he took those things, but he made them all about him. 
What is it that I want to do with these possessions? I want to take a trip. Isn't that contrary to the will of the Father? It doesn't matter. I want to take the trip. It's my possessions. Well, what are you going to do when you take this trip? I'm going to do some things. What are you going to do? Wouldn't it be contrary to the will of your Father? It doesn't matter. It's about me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Back in verse 30 of this same chapter, the older brother accuses him of using the father's money on harlots. Here in this same verse, in verse 13, we see that it is said that he wasted on riotous living. That's unrestrained in conviction and morality. It's the idea of prodigal living, riotous living, where someone says, there's no boundaries for me. Life is about me. Whatever I believe will satisfy me, I'm participating in it. I don't want to hear a debate about right and wrong. Keep in mind, this is about what I want. It is about me. How dangerous is that? How long does it take to do that? How long does it take to use the possessions God has given us in a selfish way? However long it takes, that's how short the journey is to the far country. When's the last time you've used your car to serve God? When's the last time you've gone on a visit in your car to encourage someone? When's the last time you've offered someone a ride to a doctor's office that needed a ride in your car? When's the last time you've brought someone to worship service or Bible class in your car? When's the last time you've used your car for the glory of God? When's the last time you've used your home, your house, to the glory of God? When's the last time you've used your, any of your possessions? Your money, whatever possessions God has placed in your hands and in your life. When's the last time we've used our energy? Now I realize among this group that there are many that could just list time after time the way you've used your life, your possessions, and etc. And friends, we ought to realize that to do that is a good thing because it keeps us home with the Father. It takes the emphasis off us in a selfish manner. God didn't give you the strength that you have to live a life in a selfish manner. He gave you that strength to bring glory and honor to Him. Look, if you will, at Ephesians, the second chapter. Early in the year, we had a sermon specifically about this. And we began that sermon and looked heavily out of Ephesians 2 and 10. And you remember how we dissected this verse. And it's a beautiful thought about our purpose for life. Why did God make us the way He made us? Why did He give us the things he get, that He did give to us? Why did He give us the abilities and, and, and etc.? Ephesians 2 and 10, He says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's good for us to remember, where do we come from? We're a creation of God. God made us the way He made us because He wants us to be that way, because He has good works in mind that He wants us to be a part of. He wants us to use all that He's given us to glorify Him. But if we become selfish about that, we begin to use all that we are, and we begin to use all that we have in a selfish manner. It's about me. It's to make me look better. It's to bring attention to me. How far is that far country away? It's only the thought of, Lord, I want to do it my way. I'd like to mention to you, and if you want to be going back to Genesis, the fourth chapter, we'll read a few and just mention a few of these, and a few of them will be on the screen. But as we close out this particular point, 
I want us to do so by just thinking really how near that far country is. Do you remember when Cain and Abel gave their sacrifices to God and God would not accept Cain and his sacrifice? And in his rejection of it, he came down as almost a second effort to say to Cain, listen, let's work through this. You don't have to go down this path. And I'm putting this in my words. We'll read it in the Lord's words in here a minute. But it's almost as if God's saying, think about this, Cain. Turn this around. Don't continue on this life. How far away was the far country for Cain? Let's see. We read verse 6 and 7. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You see what God is doing here in His speaking? He's speaking as if Cain and him are sitting in a room. And He's speaking saying, look, I'm giving you the opportunity, Cain. You don't have to take this path of life. Why don't you turn around and serve me? Why don't you give me the sacrifice that's due to me? But Cain, if you choose not to do that, you're going to walk out of the door. You're going to walk out of this room of opportunity. You're going to pass through this door. And God tells him very straightforward fashion. Let me warn you, sin is lying at the door. In other words, you will be ambushed. Don't pass on this opportunity to turn back to God. How far was the far country for Cain? It was just one step out of the door of the opportunity to turn. When God met up speaking with Job in Job, the first chapter and verse seven, how far away was when God met up with Satan in Job, the first chapter and verse seven? How far away was Satan? Remember him saying that that from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it? How far away was Satan in the life of Peter? Do you remember in Luke, the 22nd chapter, that Jesus warned Peter, Satan's already asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. Friends, that sends cold chills up and down my spine. To think that our enemy is that close. At times, he's literally asking for us. And that same one that was overcome by that enemy and did deny three times, he came back and he declared his love to Jesus three times and he stood a few days later on the day of Pentecost and he told those individuals what they could do to turn their lives around also. And so we see a success story of one that he did go into that far country, but he decided not to stay long. He decided to come home. And later that same individual would write in 1 Peter 5 and 8, and he would speak about that adversary, but he would warn for us to be sober, to be vigilant. In other words, watch out. Why? Because he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see how close he is? He's out there. He's shopping. Now, are we painting a picture of doom and destruction for all? No. But we are painting a picture of the reality of the world in which we live. Friends, if I have painted some kind of picture in my mind that the far country is a long, hard journey and I don't have anything to worry about, I need to refocus my vision and realize the far land is the distance that sin separates. The journey itself is not far. It's as close as where you might have spent entertainment last night. It's as close 
to how you might have fudged expense accounts last week. It's as close as how you might have filed your taxes. It's as close as maybe what you viewed on your computer. It's as close as maybe how you dealt with a next door neighbor. It's as close to how you might have treated or mistreated your family. Friends, I need to see that the far country is usually nearer than what most of us think. And it's also more costly than what many of us think. Look at verse 14. When he had spent all, see how much it cost? He spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Think about that for a moment. He spent all. Now, he went into that land with so much of his father's possessions. We think about a man building up his possessions throughout a lifetime and then giving an inheritance and splitting it between children. And maybe because he was the younger child, he didn't receive an equal split. But still, to think about receiving a part of his his father's inheritance and going, and even with that amount of money, he spent it all. Why? Because in the far country... There's not a way to replenish the things that matter the most. Because in a far country, there's not a way to replenish the things that matter most. What if someone came up to you today and they said, Hey, you know, you really impressed me and you're a good person. And and I tell you what, I want to give you a $10,000 gift. You say, Whoa, that's pretty neat. Thank you. And you begin thinking what you, you know, some of you ladies, you're already seeing a big shopping trip or, or maybe some of you are seeing a vacation or maybe somebody's saying, I'm going to pay off some debt. Or somebody else saying, I know how I'm going to invest this. You know, everybody has their way they're thinking about it. So you think about this $10,000. Now, this is true. You can pretty quickly spend $10,000. So the enjoyment's there. You do it and it's gone. You spend it all. Now, think about this illustration in another fashion. What if someone comes up to you and says the same thing? I'm going to give you $10,000. And then before they walk away, they say, oh, and by the way, I'll do this once a week. I'll come back to you every week and I'll give you $10,000 more. Now, that's a little bit different, isn't it? Even as good as the first one was to think, wow, a $10,000 gift. Then you start thinking, you mean you're going to give me $10,000 every week? That's right, for the rest of your life. I hope you enjoy it. There's a tremendous difference in those two. What did this young man do? This young man took a very generous gift of having his inheritance given to him early. And he went out and you know what? That generous gift was gone because he left the source of the gift. How many have we seen that have enjoyed the spiritual blessings? We've seen them enjoy relationships in Christ family. We have seen the great reward of living the Christian life and they take the enjoyment of all of that and they slip away and they go out into the world and even for a period of time they have joy because they're still living off of some of those past relationships. They're living off some of those past blessings but you know what? Before long the famine comes. All is spent. You know when Jesus spoke in John the 10th chapter 
about this abundant life. He says, I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. Look back in John, the fourth chapter, when he spoke to the woman at the well. I want you to think about the resource here that we have in Jesus Christ. In verse 13 and 14, he says to the woman at the well, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him. Now notice this phrase, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Lord, what are you? He says, I want you to see that I'm one. I'm a well that if you stay with me, I'll continually quench your thirst. I'm a well that I can offer eternal, everlasting life. Lord, what if we leave you and we go to the far country? You will not have a continual resource of what you need. It'll be spent. You see, that's the power of even thinking about the power of the Word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 16 tells us that all Scripture is inspired. And then 17 tells us that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. When we leave the Word of God, where do we go? We go out into a far country. Well, what happens when we leave the Word of God? We don't have the wisdom that we need. We don't have the knowledge that we need. And we make some really foolish mistakes. And we can kind of scratch our head about someone else and say, why do they do that? Well, they do it because they do not have the resources that they need out in that far country. Or we can wake up ourselves if we find ourselves out in that far country and say, why do I keep making the, the dumbest mistakes? Because out in that far country, I do not have the resources that I need. As a matter of fact, when we stay home, look at 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Not only do we have all of these spiritual resources and we have the resource of, of eternal guidance through the Word of God that gives us eternal truth. But you know, in 2 Corinthians, the eighth chapter, we have that beautiful chapter about giving. And it really is a beautiful chapter about giving. He continues that same thought about giving in the ninth chapter. And it's in the sixth verse that he teaches us that if we give just a little bit, he'll give us just a little bit. If we give a, a lot, that God will give us a lot. And so it's in the next verse that he says, I, now I want you to have a plan in your heart. I want you to decide how you're going to give. And I want your attitude not be a necessity, oh, I've got to do this, or grudgingly, I don't want to do this. He says, I want you to enjoy being a giver. Now, as we're thinking about this resource. It's just a continual, everlasting resource. Notice verse 9. I'm sorry, notice verse 8. And God is able to make all grace. And the grace here is talking about the gifts that God gives us. So God is able to make all gifts abound to you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You know what God is saying there? If we'll stay at home, avoid the far country, and we'll be generous givers, God will continue to give to us so that we will have what we need to give to every good work. I've wondered this, and I've been asked this. Do you think God literally means that? That if in faith we go ahead and give to every good work, that God will make sure that we always have enough to give? Now we're stretching our faith for most of us. 
I've never seen a time that God has been wrong about anything. The question is, does my faith go deep enough in the well of the Lord that I believe it and that I'll practice it? On some issues like this, I find myself being far too comfortable slipping over closer to the far country that says, maybe I better take care of myself here and not give so much. And in foolishness, what we're doing when we do that is we're pulling ourselves away from the very resource that says, I can give endlessly. You see, not only do we see here, as we go back to our text, here in verse 14, he spent it all, but we also see the severe famine came. Now, when I say the word famine, and I ask you, I said word association, and we started going around, immediately someone would probably say hunger, someone else would say starvation, and eventually someone would say death. You see, those are words that describe famine. What is a spiritual famine? You see, this young man was going into a famine in this story, but this story represents something to you and I spiritually. And so you see, he had left his source, and now he had spent his all. And now he found himself in a country where everybody was hungry. What is the spiritual message? Whenever you and I pull away from God, not only do we pull away from the resource that gives, but the only place that leaves us to live is in a far country that experiences continual famine, spiritually. The continual famine is always a hunger for something that's real, a hunger for something that will satisfy. The prophet of old spoke of the famine of the knowledge of God's Word. And so it is. We must decide that we do not want that. Now, contrary to your bulletin that, that uh, is printed this morning, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to split this lesson in half. We'll finish this lesson tonight. So I'd like for you to take this and, and really think about these two points. And, and if you'd be so patient for us to just come in tonight and just pick up right here and look at two other points. But as we close this, and I intentionally didn't put a slide together for this, because sometimes I think it's better for us just to imagine something. But I almost put a slide together, but instead what I want you to do is I want you to imagine two phrases right beside each other. You see this last phrase in verse 14. Now think what's led us to this point. He spent his all. Now he's in a severe famine. And how does this close? He began to be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Which country? Home with the shepherd, with God, He provides, He protects, He guards. I shall not want. We leave and we go into that far country that's pretty close by. And it's very costly. And we find ourselves in want. This morning...
where are you? If you say this morning, you know, I, I guess after examination, I find myself in that far country. I want to say to you, we've all been there. We've all been there in the sense that we've been separated from God. And, and the only ones here this morning that can say, I'm back at home with God, it's those that have been redeemed. I want to urge you to not stay in that far country. It costs too much. There's too much pain. I want to encourage you to come home. Come back to that father that, as we read just a few moments ago, he's looking down the road and and in this story he runs to receive that son back again. What a beautiful thought. This morning, if we can help you in any way on your journey back to God, if you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins to come to God in the first place, or if you have come to God, but yet something has separated you, are you ready to repent of it and confess it? And let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come.